0: Good to see each and every one of you here this morning as we open up the Word. Um, we are back in our series, but not fully back in our series, the story of Scripture. Now, <clears throat> every Memorial Day, the, it's Sunday before Memorial Day, we take some time to highlight one of our ministries here at the church, and that is our compassion ministry. And so this morning, I'd like to take some time to, to, uh, to talk about what compassion ministry looks like here at the church one thing you may or may not know about us one thing that we are passionate about is the gospel and the gospel that changed our hearts every person who's sitting here we're impacted by the gospel in one way or the other the gospel that transformed our lives we're passionate that that gospel would not just stay with us but instead that it would make its way into our communities into the world into every aspect of god's creation and so we have different ministries that are that Kind of work towards that goal one of uh, one of the ministries that you often hear about is our global outreach ministry and we partner through our global outreach ministry with partners all around the world where they take the gospel they minister both here in the Boston area around the country and around the world they take it to places that some have never heard the name Jesus and these partners are probably the first times, first time people to bring the name of Jesus to that community. And so we are p- passionate about that. Along with our global outreach ministry, there is another ministry that is more localized, is that it has the same goal, but we come at it a little bit differently. One of our goals through our hospitality ministry is that it's mercy on mission and by that we mean we seek to reflect the compassionate heart of god to the poor overlooked and oppressed people in our local communities people who live amongst us people who have experienced some of the lows in life people who have experienced some of the hardships that some of us in this room have and if you look back at your own story there was a time where someone brought hope and someone brought joy and someone brought the gospel to you, and our goal is that we're able to take that to our communities, especially to those who are hurting and those who are in need of it. And so we we have different uh, partnerships with, with o- local organizations, and I will go over that in a little bit, but I wanted to take this moment to, within our story of Scripture, we're taking a break from, um, last week we talked about the Acts, the book of Acts, the book of history in the New Testament, and the Holy Spirit that came upon the church, and the Holy Spirit that came with a mission to send the church out, to send people out into every corner of the world. And next week, we'll get back into the the epistles or the letters, and we're going to be talking about that in a little bit. But for today, I I want to take a moment to consider this question. What happens when someone you're in a relationship with or in a partnership with or in some sort of an interaction with they don't keep up their end of the agreement. How do you respond? Well, I personally have a love-hate relationship with the particular restaurant in Woburn. Now, we've lived in Woburn, we lived in Woburn for five years before we moved uh, a couple of years or, or a year and a half ago. And during that time, We've been to this restaurant maybe a dozen times or so. We love this place. Okay, so let me, let me qualify. I love the food. I hate the service. Any one of you relate? Right, the food just keeps drawing us back. We want the food, or I want the food, and Jen just judges me for getting that food. Um, but every time I go, as a matter of fact, in the few times that I've been there, I can think of only one time where they got it perfect. The rest of the time, one thing or the other is, is wrong. And so I go in there every time with high hopes saying, this is the time, this is the time. And my goal is go in there. I don't wanna have an angry conversation. I don't wanna have, I don't want them to fix my food. I don't want anything. All I wanna do is just go and grab my food and leave. Just go home and enjoy it, that's it. And so my goal is as less interactions with people, that's the best, right? So I figured out they had online ordering. That's great, no talking to people. So I go online, we place the order, and I give them plenty of time, and over an hour, I said, you know what, this is perfect. They'll make my food, it'll be ready, it'll be on the counter, I get there. I get there, tell the gentleman, hey, this is my name, here's my, I'm here to pick up the order. He says, sir, I don't have an order for you. Righteous anger. Pull out my receipt and I was like, here's my order. You charge my card. I can see the charge on my phone. You have my order. He's like, nope, I don't know where that order went, but it's not, you, we, didn't, we don't have it. I was like, are you sure? Because you have online ordering. And as soon as I said that, he realized, oh, runs back to somewhere in the kitchen. There's a computer hidden there somewhere. There's an order on that computer that for some reason they never check. And so another hour goes by before I get my food, and you know that feeling where you're just angry, you're upset, you're cranky, and now the food, I I still enjoyed it, but still, you're angry. What happens when someone or the other person doesn't keep up their end of the agreement. Maybe you've been in that same place. Maybe it's, uh, you get to the airport, you're ready to go on vacation, you get to the counter, and the the agent says, I'm sorry, but your flight was overbooked, and you'll have to fly tomorrow. Or you've gotten to the, you get to the rental counter, and you had the reservation, and they had the reservation, but they don't have a car for you. We know that feeling we know that frustration we know that anger that comes with it maybe it's a promise that someone made to you maybe it's a it's a it's a marriage vow or whatever it may be that the other person did not keep up their end of the bargain they didn't keep up their end of the agreement in this series we've been talking about The problem to a broken world, the problem to the the solution to a broken world, to the problem of sin, to the problem of our brokenness is a God of covenant. A God who says, I will enter in and I will fix this. And we've been talking about this covenant over over scripture, and we've been talking about how it unfolds and unfurls, and, and we're all a part of that picture and a part of that covenant. But here's the reality. God, when he makes this covenant, he knows well and good that the other party to this covenant is not going to be able to keep up their end. That all of us here, all throughout history, all through scripture, we have people who over and over have a track record of not keeping up our end of the agreement as much as we try we try our level best to live holy lives or we try as christians as as Bumi said today we're going we're going to try our best today's the day not going to say that lie not going to say the not going to have that thought not going to see that thing not going to do the thing that causes us to sin we're not going to do any of that but yet we break the agreement we break the covenant So the question in this moment, in this today, I'd like for us to consider is this. How does God deal with the broken covenant? How does God respond to his people when they break the covenant? And here's the answer, simply this. When you break God's covenant, God offers you compassion. When you break God's covenant, God offers compassion. Well, let's jump into the book of Exodus. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. We're in the book of Exodus chapter 34. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. Please, it's our gift to you if you don't have a Bible. Keep it. But before we get there, let, let me set up the story a little bit. Here's where we are in the story of Exodus. The people of Israel, the people, the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all of these descendants they've been living in in Egypt for a while now things have changed the political climate has changed and now suddenly they are slaves in the land they call home and they've been crying out to God saying God rescue us take us out of here God hears their cry sends them a rescuer sends them someone to come and usher them out of Egypt Moses comes into the picture Moses gets them out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They're navigating the wilderness, and it's there that we talked about the mosaic covenant a few weeks ago. That God makes this covenant with His people, and in that covenant, He says, "Here are the promises. Here are the laws. Here are the here are, here's what I have for you. If you follow it, it's a blessing. If you go against it, it's a curse. You choose." And as God is talking to Moses and God is laying the, the, the law at his, in his heart, he's, he has these two tablets on which the Ten Commandments are inscribed. God inscribes it on, the command, on those tablets, and he, takes, he gives it to Moses. And as they're having this conversation up on the mountaintop, the people in the valley... They get, start getting frustrated. They're anxious. Moses isn't coming back. Moses has been gone a while now. It's been days, it's been weeks, and, or however long, we're not told, but Moses is gone. And, and they tell Aaron, Moses' brother, say, no one's here to lead us, so make us a god. And so Aaron, buying into the pressure, he says, all right, give me all of your gold, and he fashions a golden calf. And the people of God, whose first commandment, the first commandment God gives them was, you shall have no other gods before me. They make a God for themselves. And they said, this God's going to lead us out of, the, out of the desert. This God's going to take us where we need to go. And God and Moses, as they're having this conversation, God sees this rebellion. God sees this, this disobedience. And God sees all of this. And he says, Moses, go back because your people, this, these people, God is angry. And Moses is angry. And as Moses makes his way down, those two tablets that he has, he throws them to the ground. He smashes them. And in anger, he, he rebukes the people. But realizing how angry God is, he intercedes for them. And he says, Moses tells God, don't destroy them. And so Moses makes his way back up the mountain. And God says, all right, take two more tablets. We're going to try this again. And as he does this, As he starts, as God's writing these tablets, as God's talking, God says, God reveals a little bit about himself in response to Moses' intercession. And this is where we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, the first part. The Lord passed before him, before him, as in Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. In light of the disobedience, God says, this is who I am. I'm Yahweh, a God of compassion. When you break God's covenant, God offers you compassion. This is a little bit of a unique language that's being used here. God is the, the Hebrew writer, or Moses, as he's writing this, he uses the word in Hebrew, "rachum." It's related to the word for womb, as in a mother's womb, the word racham. This is a deep emotional center. It's where all of your anger or where all of your love or where all of your, your feelings are supposed to be held. We see compassion for God's people. That, that's the language that he is using. It's almost like a, a mother protecting her womb, protecting the child that's being, uh, that's being formed, the child that's about to come, the mother's care over the womb. That's the language that God is, or Moses is using in this, in this section, saying the compassion that God is showing for his people is like a mother protecting her womb. As a matter of fact, in, in Isaiah, this is, these are the words, Isaiah 49, verse 15. God's compassion is like that of a nursing mother. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget. Unlikely. But even if that happens, this is God's response. I will not forget you. That's God's compassion to his people. In Psalm 103, verses 13, his compassion is like that of a father. He says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I wonder how many of us have seen these commercials on TV, the commercials that tell us, hey, there's there's a child somewhere in the country who needs your help. Or animals who are being mistreated and, and they need us to move and they need us to jump into action. And for the price of one coffee a day, you can make the difference in a, in a person's life or a child's life or an animal's life. And we're, we see these commercials and we're constantly around them. It's all over media. It's over, all over social media. You see, the need is all around us. Sometimes to a point where it's overwhelming. Sometimes where it's too much. And what happens in those situations? When you see those ads, what's often our response? We change the channel. Because here's what's the reality. It's easier for me to ignore it. It's easier for me to turn my eye than to have to deal with it. Because what I know is that the the need is too much. Who am I to deal with this? And so often it's easier for us to walk away or to disconnect or even become cynical towards all the need around us. One author asked, and he he was asking, what if in the story of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan that Jesus talks about, what if instead of one wounded person, there were 15? Would the Samaritan have dealt with all of that need? Because so often we're ready to jump into that one problem that we can fix quickly, right? We're ready to jump in and fix and move on. But what if that problem comes over and over and over again? Ask families with a person who's dealing with addiction or ask situations that just will not resolve themselves. And you realize compassion's hard you see that's what god's dealing with because you and i are the ones in need of compassion you and i are the ones who go back over and over we're messing up we're we're the ones who are in constant need we we say we'll try better but we're in need of that compassion we're the broken ones and god is having to fix this over and over again Throughout scripture, you see this at play. If you read through the book of Judges, or you read through the book of the Kings, or the Chronicles, and you see this over and over again, where one one year, things are good. The people are calling upon the Lord, and God has blessed them, and things are great, and then they start straying away. And they move on to their gods and suddenly things are broken and suddenly there's pain and there's crying and they're crying out to the Lord and all of a sudden God sends a rescuer, God sends a judge and makes, uh, reforms things and things are better again. And when that judge dies, the cycle repeats itself. And this spiral that the people of God are in, they're constantly in need of compassion, in need of rescue. See, this word rakam, it's not just a word that describes emotion, but instead it also describes a further thing. It's a word of action. See, God feels the pain. God feels the emotion, but he doesn't stop there. But instead, he is driven to action by what he feels. He looks at the situation and he says, when the people of Israel cried out for a, rescue, for a deliverer, he sent Moses. When the people of God were hungry in the desert, he sent food. When the people of God were crying out in sin, he sent people to reform. He sent the prophets. When you and I are in our brokenness, he's driven to action. And the action is through Jesus Christ. He sends Jesus Christ to the cross. He is a God of action. See, compassion is not just emotion. Compassion is not just feeling the empathy, feeling sorry, and feeling the emotions. But instead, it is actually stepping out, and so often stepping out of our comfort to do the hard work. To partner, and to get in, and get our hands dirty, and to do the work of compassion. See, there's a tension in this passage that I want to highlight real quick because I didn't read the whole passage. And here's the passage I'd like to read, Exodus 34, 6 through 7. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, On the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Do you see the tension here? A God who is compassionate, yes. But a God who also judges. A God who offers love. But doesn't just let go of the sin. How can this God, who's the kind of God who punishes sin, also be the one who abounds in compassion? If he consistently punishes sin, who can stand it? Or if he's consistently just, uh, just loving, why would he punish people? God's grace and compassion on one hand, but his wrath and punishment on the other. Yes, he's compassionate and gracious, full of faithfulness and love, and yet he is too righteous to overlook the wickedness, the rebellion, and sin. When you break God's covenant, God offers compassion. God forgives those who cry out. This does not mean that he doesn't allow for consequences. God balances justice and mercy. This tension is held all throughout the scriptures. Uh, the scriptures. And is resolved in jesus there you see the picture of compassion and justice in the cross god is angry at sin but he is also compassionate he demands payment for sin but he provides it jesus death on the cross satisfies both god's judgment and his compassion his righteous standard of holiness and his showering of loving kindness. In Christ, the sin that you and I commit, there is a p- price to be paid. In Christ, that price is paid. That's what He offers us. John declares in 1 John one nine that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The story of scripture is God with us so that we can be with him. The only way this is going to happen is through covenant. But the covenant is, stands on the framework of compassion. The legs on which covenant stands is compassion because compa- covenant does not work unless God sees us through the eyes of compassion. And that's what he is offering you and me. But they, see, there's a second part to it. Out of, the God, out of the compassion that God shows us, you and I are to show that same compassion to others. The compassion you receive you are to give that's our call you receive you give what you get is what you give you don't hold back Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ just as in Christ God forgave you see there's a key difference in how the world shows compassion and how a Christ follower shows compassion. It's, it's a trendy thing right now to be compassionate, to deal with the things that are the evils of society. We're always, being, we're always being made aware of something that's wrong. We're being made aware of the brokenness in our society. We're being made aware of the things that should be, but they're not. And we're called to be a part of the movement that fixes it. Politically or, or through our uh, activism or through whatever the method is, we're all being called to say, be a part of the solution. But you see, the way the world comes at it is they give to receive. Because there's always a benefit. When I give, either I feel good about myself or there's a benefit to me, I look better in the process. Or as, a, as a, a company or as a business, there's a benefit financially. There is something that I get when I do this. But the Christ follower does it differently. Some give to receive, we receive to give. She catches that. Some give to receive. We receive to give. What you have received, you give away. The ultimate example of forgiveness and rescue that comes through the act of compassion is found at the cross. What you've received, you are to give. It's easy to be compassionate and to show compassion to people I love or to people I'm... passionate about or the things that i'm passionate about but that's not what god's calling us to god's calling us to give it our all because when christ when god gave showed compassion he gave everything he gave his son did not hold back and if we're going to show in kind it demands our all it demands our life it demands that we step out of our comfort it demands more than just a few dollars in the offering it demands action see the goal of our compassion ministry i mentioned a little while ago is that we seek to reflect the compassionate heart of god the heart of god that we've experienced to the people around us to the poor the poverty stricken the overlooked the oppressed and one way we do that here at the church is to partner with organizations that are already doing that. God's called people, God's set people, and they've, God's entrusted them with a ministry to reach into, the, into these places. And as much as we'd like to, we can't be everywhere at all times, but we can partner with people who are already doing it. And few partners are Amira, New Life Home, We've done events like Compassion Without Compromise. Another uh, uh, partner that we're looking at is the Boston Center for Pregnancy Choices and organizations like this. But today, this morning, we have a few minutes, and I want I us to listen to one of our partners. And George and Grace Rosado, Grace is here uh, this morning, George and Grace Rosado founded New Life Home. New Life Home is a residential recovery program for women. But what's unique about New Life Home is that the women, as they're going through their recovery, they're able to bring their children along. And that's unique because a lot of times people going through recovery have to make that choice of what do they do with their children. Because they're already in the worst place possible. And having to make this further choice is a hardship and it's, it's t- terrifying but Grace and George, they started this. And um, just earlier in the year, was it February this last year or 2023? Uh, they shared at Brooklyn Tabernacle. They shared a little bit about their ministry. And so we're going to watch a clip about both Grace sharing and also Alexis. And I want you to pay attention to Alexis's story and to see the theme of God's compassion through her life. Let's watch
1: Lord, heal lives step by step, that first smile, that first day that that you see something happening in their heart and God is beginning to change and renew and restore. And that's what it's all about. That's what God does. And he's a restorer of life. Um, There's so many here in this front row that they can share their testimonies and powerful what God has done and continues to do. And I'm so grateful to the Lord for calling me, for allowing me to have just a little part in their lives, just to be able to reach out in the name of the Lord and his love and and just love on them and teach them and train them up in the things of the Lord and see them go on and become mothers and go to school and achieve. That's the greatest joy is seeing lives changed by God's power. And I'm so thankful for this opportunity. Uh, Lastly, tonight, I I think I'm going to have Alexis come. Alexis, um, she has um, quite a testimony, but her husband is here. Steve, why don't you stand tonight? We're so thankful that Steve came with us tonight, too. Um, The first time I met Steve, he doesn't know this, but... um, they were not together and and alexis come on over here alexis was in the program and um her son was not with her at the time and she was going through the process and god was changing her heart and life and then it got to a point where steve was going to allow her to have a visit with her son and i remember him coming to the house and i watched him and I, and I said to the staff he still loves her <laughs> you could see that he still loved her and I said one day God is going to work a miracle
2: wow I love the Lord because of his unfailing pursuit of my life so that I may know him he inclined his ear towards me, and he heard my groans, my cries, and he saved me. He saved my life. As Grace said, my name's Alexis. I graduated in 2020 from New Life Home. I grew up in a big family. I'm the last of six children. But growing up, something always felt like it was missing. And the only way that I can describe that is it was a huge hole in my heart. When I was 20, I fell in love with Steve. And for a while, that love was enough. But deep inside, something was still missing. At the age of 30, we had a beautiful son, we moved to a beautiful home, we had a very successful business, and on the outside, everything seemed perfect. But again, something was deeply missing. I felt insecure, I felt alone, and even though it seemed I was living the life I always dreamed of, I, was, I thought I was dream, living the life I always dreamed of, but something was still. It was, it was, there was an emptiness inside of me. Shortly before I became pregnant, I started having severe back pain, and I needed surgery. And the doctors were very hesitant. I was young. I was only 30. And so during the pain, someone offered me a Percocet, and I took it. And it took the pain away. It allowed me to work. I felt amazing. I continued asking people for the Percocet and my habit continued to grow. I gave birth to my son, and I was living a double life, thinking I could hold it all together. Running a family restaurant, being a full-time mom, I did everything in my own strength. I hid my addiction from my loved ones. I was full of pride. I wouldn't ask for help. I was feeling so guilty and so shameful. I smiled and acted as though everything was okay, but as soon as I got alone, I cried. The resentment was building of trying to be this perfect woman, this perfect mother. So I did more pills to mask the pain, physically and emotionally. And at this point, I needed them. I couldn't get up without them. I couldn't function without them. It was no longer a want. It was was a need. I wanted to stop, and I wanted to get help, but I didn't think I could. I thought I was going to lose everything that I was trying to, to keep at. You know. I was, I was working so hard to hold everything together, and if I told someone, I was going to lose everything. What a lie, right? What a lie that is. So instead, I took my son, and I left my family, and I went to a place where my shame wouldn't follow me, or I thought. <laughs> my addiction to pills didn't get any better, and heroin was much cheaper so I began using heroin intravenously. My little pill addiction turned into a big heroin problem. I really thought I was being a good mom too. I thought because I was still working and going to school functions and activities that I was being a good mom. In January of 2017, my oldest brother, he died from his heroin addiction. And that hole, that deep hole in my heart, only got bigger. The drugs stopped masking my pain. And my, my habit, it just grew. I had my first arrest in February. And by this time, I was not only using heroin, I was using crack cocaine. Quickly, I started to lose everything. I lost my car, my job, my apartment. I could see the snowball of all of my choices. It was getting bigger and lower. I wanted to stop my life from falling apart. I just didn't know how. A few months after my brother's death, I got the call that I lost my son to an ex parte motion because of my reckless and dangerous behavior. I'll never forget that day or that call. The one thing I always wanted to be was a mother and I was losing him because of my choices. That's a horrible feeling. I was overwhelmed with despair, feeling completely hollow and empty. The one thing I loved and cherished, I was losing because of me. I was the problem. I valued being a mom. That's all I ever wanted to be. That moment should have brought me to my knees. It should have brought me to get clean. But it didn't stop. I went further into my addiction. I wanted to die, and if I couldn't, I wanted to be numb, and I knew my addiction could take me there. So I went to places of physical darkness. But it was me that was dark. I was dark inside my mind. I went to places full of disgust. But really, it was me I was disgusted with. I allowed myself to go to places where my body wasn't mine anymore. I was just an empty vessel, broken down by my choices. Everything that I had judged other people for, now I was judging myself. I had lost everything I held valuable, every ounce of dignity that I had. I became homeless. I was stealing to support my habit. I was alone. My family wanted nothing to do with me. I couldn't see my son. And I couldn't forgive myself for the mistakes that I had made. At this point, I was introduced to New Life Home for Women and Children. But my addiction had such a strong grip on me. After all of that, I wasn't ready to change yet. I continued on the path of destruction and had multiple arrests. And I remember every time I was arrested thinking, this cannot be life. This is not my life. There has to be more. There there has to be more to me. I couldn't understand why I was still alive and everything around me was death. In August of 2018, I I had a probation check-in And I knew I had to do a drug test. And I knew if I failed, which I was going to, I was going to end up in jail. I wrestled, should I go, should I not go? I waited to the very last moment, and I went in. I smoked my last cigarette. I walked in, and there was this older gentleman sitting there. I had never seen him before. He was dressed nice. He was the only person in the waiting room. And he must have seen me, like, out of my mind. I mean, I was out of my mind. I was probably shaking and pacing. I was nervous. And I finally sat down and it was the it was definitely God. And he was sending him to speak to me because he just said simply, "Are you tired?" <laughs> and I was. I was tired. I was tired of being alone. I was trying to mask my tired of masking my pain. I was tired of feeling worthless and having no purpose. I was tired. I was tired. So I went back and I, I gave my, my drug test and um, that was my last arrest. <laughs> um, and when I came from that waiting room, the man was gone. I mean, it was definitely a messenger from the Lord because <laughs> he was gone. Um, so I went into jail the last time and I was sick detoxing and I finally surrendered. I finally was ready to, to face the mistakes that I had made and, and the pain that I caused my son the abandonment that he must have felt, that I chose drugs over him. That's a horrible pain that, that doesn't go away. But the Lord heals, and he opened up a door for me to come to new life. And shortly after entering the home, I accepted Jesus into my heart. Yeah, that hole, that emptiness that was inside me began to fill with his love, his joy, his purpose. I finally knew what self-worth was and that it doesn't matter how many mistakes you make in life, it matters how many times you get back up. He began to show me forgiveness, and in turn, I was able to forgive myself. God is so gentle and piece by piece, hurt after hurt, he showed me how to face myself and see myself as he sees me, which is loved and valued. And as I began to heal, I began to pray for my son's father. I knew I was forgiven by the Lord, But I prayed that my son's father would forgive me for the hurt that I had caused him. I prayed for his future wife and the stepmother to my son, not knowing if I would ever be in his life again. The Lord we serve is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could (laughs) ask, think, or imagine. Slowly, my son started to visit, and healing began in my family. And as I was near my graduation, my son's father and I were able to co-parent and true forgiveness began to heal. And uh, shortly after I graduated, after 20 years of knowing each other, he asked me to marry him. And we got married in Greece (laughs) in 2021. (laughs) Only God can heal hearts so broken. Only God. Jesus breathed life into me. He told me to take off my old grave clothes. He healed the hole in my heart with his love. He has made me the woman I am today. I am no longer a slave to addiction. I have purpose. I have the love of Jesus that restored and rebuilt me. I love the Lord because he has given me freedom. Thank you for allowing me to share today.
0: When we break God's covenant, he offers us compassion. Alexis' story is a story of God's compassion. God finding and restoring. And God using people like Grace and George and New Life Home to bring about that compassion. This morning, I don't know where you are and how you feel and how, what state you're in. Maybe you were the one feeling broken. Maybe you're the one feeling the shame. Maybe you're the one feeling that you you wish you could feel how she does. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would feel God, you would experience God's compassion. That it would take hold of you. That it would bring about the restoration that you so long for. For those of us who have experienced God's compassion, my prayer is that we would be agents of God's compassion to the world. That we would go. Some of us, some of you are called to the hard situations. To take steps of faith. To bring hope and bring joy to those around you. Our prayer this morning is that you would take those steps. That as we talked last week, the anointing of the Holy Spirit that is upon you, that God has poured out his spirit upon you for this purpose, for that you would witness the compassion that you've experienced to those around you. So my prayer is that you would go. When we break covenant, he offers his compassion. And the compassion that you and I receive is the compassion you and I give. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that your spirit would do your work in us. Thank you, God, for the compassion we felt, we've experienced, that has transformed our lives. Lord, we pray that you would do your work in us so that we're able to go, be a part of your work. Lord, we thank you for people like Grace and George. Lord, especially we lift up George today, pray for healing, pray for strength, as he recovers at home. Pray for grace as she cares for George. And we pray that your grace would be upon them as they lead these these wonderful women and their families towards hope and joy. We thank you for the work that you have ahead of us. Help us to be faithful to that work. In Jesus' name we pray.